Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Tales from the Plinth. Today, we are very lucky to be joined by two great women that we met at CSM, Shannon Fox and Lori Mize. Would you guys like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about, tell us a little bit about what you guys do? I'd be glad to. Thank you so much for having us. It was really great to talk with you guys at CSM, and we were so excited to see all of the the students that came to the session and all the excitement that generated as a result of this talk. So I'm really excited to talk more about it tonight. So my name is Lori Mize. I am a faculty member at the University of Central Arkansas. That's also my alma mater. And I graduated back in the early 2000s. We'll just leave it at that. And I specialize in pelvic health physical therapy. And so I've been teaching for the Academy of Pelvic Health Physical Therapy uh, for years, since 2011. I'm also a board certified specialist in women's health. And Shannon and I met while we were serving on the board of directors for the, what was then the section on women's health and is now the Academy of Pelvic Health. So that's how we grew to know each other and become friends. And we're just so excited to keep having this conversation together. Thanks, Lori. Uh, yes, my name is Shannon Fox, and I currently serve as the Manager of Physical Therapy at Oshner LSU Health in Shreveport, Louisiana. Um, I have been in that role for about 20 years. Um, I am a graduate of the Louisiana State um, LSU uh, program in, in Shreveport, and I have a passion for public health and do management role. So like Lori said, we got to know each other, met, became good friends through the Academy of Pelvic Health. Um, and we just kind of got talking um, one time at CSM about how we really felt like we wanted to bring something to students and this just kind of fell from there. So we are really excited to talk to y'all more about it tonight. Yeah, so for some context for our listeners, uh, I know that we have a lot of student listeners, um, both Lori and Shannon gave a fantastic presentation at CSM about transitioning from the student physical therapist to a doctorate in physical therapy and kind of navigating the ins and outs of preparing for the NPTE, your first job, mentorship after that, and so on and so forth. Um, so a lot of the questions that we have for them are based off of that. Um, so. Tell us a little bit about the inspiration behind starting this lecture. I know you guys just kind of got to talking a little bit, but what, what drove that conversation? Because you're still doing it now. Mm, I'll go first with that, Shannon, because she has a lot more to add than I do. So she's currently in management right now, and I am in academia. And so I did have a clinic before I was a full-time um, academic and started that clinic from scratch and had to hire. And it really became apparent to me that hiring or bringing in the right student, even with clinical internships, having the right person to come in and be part of my culture that I was setting in, in the clinic that I owned was really, really critical. And I've always thought about, okay, what is that right person? And it's not just somebody who gets along with me or, or whatever, it's a different mix. And so I've thought a lot about that and what makes a good clinician. And I don't mind at all. I've told my students that I teach at UCA, I, it, it's skills. I can teach skills. I, I don't really care, to be honest and be frank about your skills. I care about your ability to interact. I care about your ability to have empathy. I care about your ability to be coachable and to have 
a team-based mindset and to, to contribute to that team in a positive way. I care about your ability to form a therapeutic alliance with the patient. Those are the things that matter. And it always has been a bit, um, it kind of bothers me a bit that our educational curricula focus more so on the hands-on skills and, and rightly so to some degree, but we just don't emphasize the soft skills. And I put the quotations up when I do that the soft skills enough. And those are the things that really matter in our ability to form a therapeutic alliance. So I've just always been really passionate about that, about helping students become that person, um, even whenever I was a clinician and not in academia. And so now in academia, uh, sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm a banging gong, you know, or like the lone voice from the wilderness that's constantly like, the therapeutic alliance matters, but for real, it's that stuff, you know, it's not the other things that we make such a big deal about that matter. And so I noticed that, you know, in my practice, and then I noticed that with students, they struggled in, in finding who they were and realizing what was important. And they struggled in things like, you know, focusing only on grades instead of their ability to learn and grow and, and those kind of things. And it just broke my heart. And the other thing, I said I was going to be quick, Shannon, and I lied. Um, You're fine. <laughs> I lied. The other thing that I noticed whenever I did go into academia and moved from the clinic into teaching full time is that my relationship with the students as a faculty member, I felt like they wanted to know more from me about life than they did even just about the things that I was teaching. They wanted to know things like, how are you a mom and a professional? How do you manage all of these things? How do you balance this stuff? How do you do what you do? How do you not have burnout? They wanted to know about those things. And then, you know, it kind of turned into a place to come in and sit down on the couch and cry and, you know, cry about your boyfriend or whatever. I mean, they want to know about life. How do you do relationships? How do you do life? And so that really kind of put off a, a big light bulb in me. And that stuff has been something that I've wanted to study more, something that I'm passionate about, because I feel like we need to be teaching more of the soft skills and just the human skills than just our PT skills. And it's not that they're not important, but there's more. So I guess that's what generated this conversation. And then Shannon and I have talked about this because she's like, as a manager, I'm hiring people and there's so much more that I want them to know. So, all right, Shannon, I'm going to punt this to you. Thanks, Lori. Yes, um, a couple of years ago, I just, I, I, I think I was sitting at CSM and I had just finished uh, interviewing a couple of, uh, of students for a potential position. And everything, a light bulb just went off in me. And I was like, all of these things that I feel students should know, and I complain to my friends or to my boss or someone as far as, you know, why didn't, why didn't they know how to answer a question or how, how, how do they not know how to um, just come in and smile and look at me and just have a conversation um, and understand that I just want to know about them. I want to talk to them. I want to find out what their passions are um, for that. And while at CSM, I was like, what 
what is a more perfect opportunity than to give a student an offering or talk about that in this venue? Because there are students all around us and they're hungry for knowledge and they're, they wanna learn and they're very passionate. Um, and so I just kind of pitched, pitched the idea to Lori and together with her passion and what she was seeing, it was just perfect timing. Um, and our first meeting, everything just came together just, just wonderfully. Like it, 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 we were amazed at how easy the talk came together, um, how it just kind of flowed. And we have just been so honored that students have really taken to this and have, um, have found benefit in us talking about these things because that was our whole intention um, was we wanted to create um, just a talk, a real talk, where students could ask us questions, anything, ask us real questions, and we would give them very honest answers to help them be successful in that job hunt in that first year of their career. Um, and so we're making a lifelong clinician and not somebody who is apt to burn out or kind of fizzle or find another career. Absolutely. And I will say that your guys' talk was probably the most authentic that I went to while I was at CSM. It was, it was upfront, it was real, it was cool. It was packed with students. Um, you guys let us line up afterwards and even talk to you personally, so that was cool. Um, but my next question, I guess, maybe more towards Shannon at this point in her career, but for both of you, um, you know, you both have the opportunity to interview students in, in your careers thus far. And I'm sure you both have things that you're looking for going in to an interview. And I know we talked about having these soft skills that are important, but let's say I have an interview or Ben or Liz has an interview coming up. What can we do to make sure that those soft skills along with our academic slash rotation experience come across? I would spend some time, one, like we had kind of said in the talk, make sure you're researching that position. Um, what do you know about them? What do you know about the position that you're applying for, um, for that? And then how can you incorporate certain answers based on, say, if you're going for an outpatient setting or even a rehab setting? How can you incorporate examples of some things that you're doing right now, say in your clinical rotation or um, just your personal beliefs um, so that your personality is showing through or that that person can get a glimpse of what is it gonna be like to observe you treating a patient or um, what is it gonna be like uh, you interacting with another coworker or with a family member? So I think if you can have some examples ready or um, just some scenarios of things that you've done or ways that you've treated, treated patients or even ways that you've learned. Um, I, I love asking a question of what is something that you did wrong and how did you handle it? Um, because we all, we all make mistakes and hopefully we all learn from those mistakes. Um, and that question tells me so much about a person and their character, how they handle situations, how they handle people. Um, and it's, it really shows, do you have those soft skills that Lori was talking about? How do you interact? Um, so just things like that give me little glimpses into those abilities that you have. 
Oh, that's great. And I think it's important to say, I mean, I'm just going to say it and I mean no offense by this. Okay. Cause I think that I love students. Okay. But as an employer, when we interview a new grad, the expectations are pretty low. And here's what I mean by that. Let me clarify what I mean. Okay. We know what we're getting with new grads and we know that there's still so much that there is to learn. And we know that you don't have as much experience and, and we get that. And that's okay. That's, that's part of what, not the risk, it's not the right word, but that, that's part of what we understand whenever we take on a new grad, that they're going to need mentorship. They're going to need training and they're going to need to be able to ramp up into what they're doing. They're going to need to have more. Um, this is their first job oftentimes. And so what I love to hear about, I love to hear about the people who have done multiple things, who have worked during their PT school, who have managed multiple things and done that successfully. I like to hear about that too. And, and I'll reiterate about the, the things that Shannon said. A lot of interview questions are more behavioral in nature, meaning they'll ask you a question about a scenario or they'll give you a scenario and they'll say, give me an example. And they're looking for certain characteristics that you have. And it may be things like resilience and integrity and growth mindset, you know, some of those kind of things that they're looking to see if you have those in your answer. And so that's something to keep in mind. And I like somebody who comes with a lot of questions for me. They're well-informed questions. So that means that you've researched, like Shannon said, you have you come and you want to know more because interviews go both ways. Interviews are not just about, you know, you're trying to get a job with me. I'm trying to see if you're a good fit. You're trying to see if I'm a good fit. And if I'm not a good fit, you don't want to be working with me. And so interviews go both directions. And that's important to understand, I think, as well. And to be confident in that. Be confident in who you are. Do not pretend to be somebody that you're not. Because People, especially people that are in pelvic health, and I think I'm biased about this, I know I am, but we're really empathic and we read things from people and we know when you are faking, okay? We just know. So don't do it. You need to bring yourself and bring your authenticity and bring that, hey, you know, I need more help in this, but this is what I'm really good at. Like know yourself, be confident in who you are. That's what I would recommend. I think that's all really good advice because I know Ben, David, and I are headed into that stage where we're going to be interviewing here soon. And it feels like there's not enough information like out there for us to like know how to prepare. But I think, you know, talking to people like you and you guys is really valuable. Um, but what are some common mistakes you find? Um, applicants, interviewees make during that process um, that sets them back or can even cost them the job? I'm going to just kind of piggyback off of something Lori just said, and it's not being yourself. Um, if, if you try to present yourself in a way that is not authentic, um, that we can see right through that you're not you're not giving me genuine answers. You're giving me a textbook answer. You're giving me what you think I want to hear. Um, I, that, that makes me, that, that my spidey senses go off and it makes me back up a little bit. It gives me pause um, because if you're not going to show me your real self now, 
I don't know what I'm going to get in the clinic. And I honestly don't know who you are as far as what to expect. Um, and I, I think that can be a huge mistake um, as far as, you know, trying to trying to be somebody you're not and trying to guess about the person that I want to hire. Um, because honestly, I, I don't have a ideal person in mind that I want to hire because each one of my current employees brings so such different things to the table and I see value in it all. Um, so I really want to know who are you? And what are you going to bring to me and how are you going to add our make add to our team to make us even better? And if you fake that or you don't show that to me, um, then then I'm going to pass and I'm going to go on to somebody else. Mm, and I think when it comes to that, um, I kind of mentioned understanding that when you're coming in as a new grad, you really don't have a whole lot of other experience. Most people don't, some people do, but most people as new grads, you know, you're on equal playing field with new grads from everywhere else, right? I mean, there's just not a lot of experience outside of clinical internships. Everybody in PT school has clinical internships and yes, they're different and you can pull from some different examples, but I need you to understand what, what value you bring to the table. And that goes both ways, okay? You don't need to feel like, oh man, I don't have anything I can contribute. I'm a new grad, because that's not true. But it's also not true that you're gonna come in and you're gonna be able to just do all the things like a seasoned PT. Um, so, so you have to understand your position and understand the position from the employer. And I think one of the biggest things is getting a little bit, um, getting a little bit too big for our britches, as we say here down south, um, about, you know, things that you're entitled to. I mean, if you come in and you're asking for more money than, than what they pay their seasoned PTs because you haven't done the research about what's an appropriate salary for that particular type of therapy in that area, that makes you look like a real jerk. Um, and, and that's a problem. And so you've got to do your homework beforehand and, and not come in and expect... Um, you know, expect to be treated as a seasoned PT because you aren't. And that's okay. You will be at some point, but right now you're not. And so I think that sense of, I've heard some of my colleagues say a sense of entitlement. You have to be really careful about that and recognizing and being humble about your skills and where you are and, and learning from others and being open to learning from others. I think that's a big one. Um, I had another one, but I lost it. So, yeah, no worries. If it comes back, just let us know. Okay. One of the questions that I've had, and was something that I was recently asked on an interview as I've kind of been going through the process, and it has always been something that I get cautious to answer. I had an interview um, individual ask me, "What are your weaknesses?" And I, it's like I look at that question like, how do I answer that? if it is, or, or like, what are things you need to work on? Because I don't want to screw myself in the interview before I even have a chance to go meet with this individual. But I also don't want to come off pompous or arrogant and be like, well, I have not, because clearly I do. I'm a student physical therapist and I'm just getting started in my career. Um, so maybe for me personally and many of the listeners, if and when we do get asked that question, what do you think is a good way to answer it? I think you need to be honest and you yeah. need to be transparent and, and real. But then you need to talk about how 
those are things, what are the ways that you are growing in that? What are the resources that you have accessed in order to help you with that? And, and what are the, you know, what are the strategies that you're putting in place to make that improve on a daily basis? So we all have weaknesses. And to be honest, I don't really like that question by itself. Um, I don't think that that's really, a, I think you can get to someone's weaknesses by asking other questions. So I wouldn't say that everybody would anticipate getting that question, but it's going to be the bottom line in a lot of questions that you're going to get in an interview. They're trying to get at what are you not good at, you know, and, and you just have to be honest with things that you need more mentorship with, things that you are open to but haven't had any experience with things that, you know, you've struggled with in the past. Here's how I've improved it. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so I think that's really the best way to handle it, just to be honest and, and be real. So if I say some of my weaknesses are, you know, this isn't true, but I'm just going to say it. I, I'm just not able to multitask very well. And so, you know, I really just need to focus on what's right in front of me in order to be successful. But here's how I have worked on that. You know, I've tried to be aware that I can pause and come back, you know, and just kind of talk about strategies that you're using to improve that. And that speaks volumes about your character, your self-reflection and your self-awareness, which is huge for people. I love people who are self-aware and they're constantly growing. And I think that tells a lot about your character and your ability to learn. Lori, Lori said it beautifully. Um, and I will tell you, I asked that question. Um, we, we, I always ask, what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses? And I ask it very early in the interview because it, it lets me know, do you know yourself? Um, have you done that self-reflection? Do you know what, what are your quirks? You know, what are you good at? Where, where are you going and how are you growing? Um, like Lori said, weaknesses aren't bad. Weaknesses are being able to verbalize your weakness means that you're very self-aware of yourself. And then I want to know, like Lori said, how are you, how are you growing? How are you working? How are you adapting um, to improve on that? Because every single one of us has a weakness. We, we all have that thing that just gets us um, and, you know, um, get, drags us down a little bit, but it doesn't have to be a bad thing. Um, sometimes weaknesses are good um, and can, you know, complement your strengths um, with that. But I want to know, do you know you? Um, and I also want to know how prepared are you for this interview? Because if you have done self-reflection, then probably you've done some time preparing for this interview. So just to add to some of that, I also think some great exercises in self-reflection and knowing yourself, which in, in the leadership classes that I teach, that's kind of the first step in leadership. You have to lead yourself before you can lead others. And you need to know yourself in order to lead. So I have my students all do the Enneagram assessment. I have them do a, a strengths finders assessment. So you know kind of what your top strengths are, but you also know your personality and like your primary motivated, motivators. And you can, you know, kind of explain yourself in that way and understand when you are moving in a healthy way and in an unhealthy way. And I think those are great tools for self-discovery and self-knowledge. And those are great things to talk about in an interview as well, because 
you know, those who know the Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram one, which is called the reformer, or sometimes they call it the perfectionist. And so I recognize that there are certain qualities and characteristics about me that I really have to think about how I'm portraying myself to others. Um, but I can also talk about the things that really drive me and make me come alive. And, and one of those things as an Enneagram one is I want things to be right and fair and just and good and efficient. And so that's a real huge part of my justice heart. And so I can talk about those things to somebody else because that helps you get to know who I am as a person. And I think that's valuable information that doesn't cross the line of those HR do not ask, you know, minefield questions like, tell me about your family. Tell me about, are you married? You know, those kind of things. So anyway, just a great tool for self-discovery. Yeah, that is great. Thanks guys. I think, I think as students and like, this is me speaking personally, but I think we get very kind of focused on, okay, what exactly do they want when they ask that question? So we get really, you know, kind of fine tuned with how we want to answer when in reality, you guys are kind of just looking for that authenticity, which I think is super powerful because then just be yourself, you know, and you don't have to worry. You take the pressure off a little bit, right? Absolutely. So, yes. Awesome. And to follow up um, on that discussion. So we talked how interviewing a lot of times is a two-way street. What do you think, you know, with the experience that you guys have now, you know, you've seen the world of PT. If you were a new grad today, what are some of the questions you would be asking a company you were interviewing for to kind of pick out whether you were a good fit or not? I would really kind of pick their brain on their expectation of me. So, you know, what, what is it, what is the average day look like? Um, do I choose my own schedule? Is my own schedule done for me? Um, what is the average caseload? What is the productivity requirement? Um, do you do um, merit increases? So getting asking, drilling down and asking questions that gives you a glimpse into um, what is it going to be like to work for me? You know, what, what does that day look like? What is the expectation? What do I as a manager um, expect out of my employees? What am I looking for in my employees? Um, those those kind of questions that gives you an idea um, of what our company is about. What am I, I what am I like as a manager um, and um, what we're looking for? You know, I think with the knowledge that I have now going back, I would really ask more questions of my direct supervisor about their leadership. So how they lead, I would ask them more specific questions because I'm trying to see, can I respect this person as a leader? Will I follow this person? And I would spend a little bit more time on that. I would love to see a schedule. I mean, can, can I see the schedule and, and what a normal typical day looks like for a PT? Can I talk with your employees and, and talk with them about, you know, their favorite things to work uh, about working here, their, their least favorite things about working here? Can I ask them those questions? And anyone that, that has trepidation about you asking questions of their employees that's a red flag in and of itself. So if a place is really 
open about what they're doing. And they'd say, yeah, by all means, here's so-and-so. They're one of our staff physical therapists. Go talk with them. And you could ask those questions of the staff therapist. So I would do more of that. And I would actually ask to just be shown in the clinic and observe what do people look like coming in and out? What does the environment feel like? And you get a feel of the culture of a place just by being out in the gym, right? You know, if people are having fun, you know, if, if they are enjoying being around each other, if it's an environment where patients feel comfortable. So I would be looking more for things like that. And I would probably have more confidence if I saw something that didn't meet those needs to say, yeah, I'm just going to go on to another opportunity. Um, so I think that's, that's a little bit of my, if I knew then what I know now. That's awesome. No, thank you for all that. Now, one of the questions that I wanted to ask is kind of been a hot topic in, in our class, and that is um, salary, I guess. Um, as student physical therapists or as new grad PTs, um, obviously we're not gonna start off as much as a senior physical therapist at that location, but we would all still like to make what we think that we're worth, right? Um, or somewhere in that range. And every place that you go to is gonna have a slightly different salary. Um, in your guys' experience, is it okay for a, a, new, a new grad PT to come in and attempt to negotiate respectfully? And if so, how much wiggle room are, are you looking for them to ask for? Shannon, start. you want to take this Yeah, one? yeah. I, I just didn't know if you wanted to start, but I'll start. No problem. Um, I, I think it's got, it's pretty common. Um, and I think we've kind of gotten to the point that we, we expect people to negotiate. Um, and I, I don't know where that flipped, but it probably started trending that way several years ago um, for that. Um, how much of a negotiation is possible? I, that's a really hard question because it's very dependent on um, is it a big corporation versus is it more of a private practice versus is it just kind of a mom and pop clinic? Um, I think bigger corporations, you're going to have less ability to negotiate because it's pretty much we, we treat all of our employees the same and this is what we can offer. Now, as far as a negotiation, they probably will give you a little wiggle room to negotiate um, as far as your salary, but probably compensation package, extras, um, all of that is probably going to be very generic, and that's not probably going to be as easily negotiated. Um, if you are at a private clinic or a smaller clinic that's not um, a bigger corporation that's managed, they have a lot more flexibility um, to kind of custom customize the offer to the person. Um, so I really think you have to understand, you know, who are you interviewing with? Is it a large corporation versus a smaller one? Um, to know exactly, you know, to get a feel of what, what it is that you can negotiate. Um, as far as, you know, if they give you an offer and you want to negotiate up, um, and I think Lori and I kind of talked about this at CSM. It, yes, there is some wiggle room. Is it, you know, $10,000? No. 
Um, it's probably, you know, a couple up to 5,000 maybe as far as a wiggle room. Um, but it's not this huge astronomical number um, for the negotiation. Um, if it's a smaller business, I would really, um, really consider negotiation in as far as the package as well as the salary. So did they offer to pay your APTA membership? Did they offer to pay for continuing ed? Did they offer to pay um, uh, for a certification? Um, so those are those those things cost money, you know, so that is money. Um, and that makes you better and and that that is a benefit. So um, don't just pigeonhole yourself as far as negotiation as far as far as money only, try to think outside of the box. And if you can do a little bit of both, then that's even better. And I think it's important to understand too, I mean, I agree with everything that Shannon just said, you've got to do your research on the, the area that you're living. You've got to do your research on what is a typical salary for that type of physical therapy. Sorry, we talk about acute care, we're talking about outpatient orthopedics, are we talking about peds? And, and you can find some of that information and data from, um, I think, some of the labor statistics that you can look up online. And you can also put it out there on some of the social media sites and, and get people to kind of comment about those particular areas. So there's ways to get that information now that there weren't, it, were, it wasn't as easy before. So you need to know that coming in so that you have an appropriate expectation for that area. The other thing that you need to understand is the cost of living around your area as well. So, you know, you're going to probably get more of an offer from a rural area because they have a hard time recruiting people um, and maybe a higher salary. But, you know, oftentimes the cost of living is much less. So it's really like you make more in that sense if you um, think about that. But the other thing to think about is that your employer is not responsible for your student loan debt. And here's what I mean by that. And that's tough. And I get, I mean, it is a real problem when we're looking at debt to income ratio for physical therapy students right now, especially some of the tuitions coming out of some of the programs that I've seen. It's astronomical. And your salary is not going to match what you've paid in student loans. And that breaks my heart but it's not the responsibility of your employer to help you make up that difference. Does that make sense? It's not their fault. And so, you know, you can't go in and say, but this is what I'm worth because this is what I need. Well, I'm sorry. I can't, I understand that that's what you need, but this is what we can do. And, and it may be one of those take it or leave it kind of things. So keep that in mind about your student loans and about the area that you're living in. It's also not your employer's fault that the cost of living in San Francisco is elevated, okay? They can do what they can do based on their own budgets. So you need to really be able to sell your value and why you will bring value. And I think it's really important to highlight things that are valuable to employers like the patients that I see always have great feedback and have great experiences when they see me. And so the patients in your facility that see me will have a great patient experience. You'll see great patient satisfaction surveys. You know, those kinds of things bring value to the organization, especially organizations where that's tied to reimbursement. And so you can think about ways to make yourself more valuable and possibly worth more in your negotiation 
as part of that as well. I'm able to see more patients earlier on because I've had several clinical internships in this population and I feel ready to go. Or I've already done a clinical internship in this location and so the onboarding time will be very short. You know, those kinds of things bring value. I've already had these classes in pelvic health. I'm ready to start to treat patients with incontinence and prolapse. And I can start to bring in new patients from other areas and, and go outside of your current marketing realm to draw in new patients to your facility. That brings value and that's also worth more to be paid as a salary. Thank you guys for answering that. That's a, you know, that's a question that I think a lot of people are have some different views on, especially in the, in the PT world. So thanks for being very transparent there. Uh, to switch gears a little bit, now say you know, you're a new grad, you land your first job, you're happy, you're excited, getting ready to go. What do you think a young clinician should look for in finding the right mentor for them? Lori, you wanna start first on this one? Sure, I'll start. Um, I think one of the best things for you to think about when you find a mentor, mentors can come from anywhere. They don't have to just come from your workplace. They don't have to just be faculty members. You know, they can come from anywhere and they don't even just have to be physical therapists. So be on the lookout for people who, when you engage with them, you can tell that they value you and they value elevating you. They want to help you when you engage. You're not a pain to them. You're not bothering them. And now that doesn't give you an excuse to, you know, blow up somebody's phone or their message board or whatever, but, you know, find somebody who would invest in engaging with you. And then those are the kind of people that you, you could ask to, to be more of a mentor for you in, in various things. And Shannon, you know, in our talk really broke down the difference between like a professional coach and a mentor and, and what does that really mean? But I think you've got to start with finding someone, if it's a true mentorship, finding someone who would be willing to elevate you. That's what mentors do. They help other people rise. And, but they don't give you all the answers. You know, they're not going to tell you how to do what to do. They're oftentimes a sounding board for you that helps you grow. So Shannon, I'll let you take the rest of it. No, that's great, Lori. Um, and I, I think uh, something too that students or new early professionals get stuck on is they feel like they have to have a mentor immediately. Um, and to get the right fit and to find the right person, um, I really feel like you don't want to force a relationship. Um, like Lori said, it, it needs to be somebody who, who was willing to invest in you, who was willing um, to take that time um, to, to, really, um, to really care of, and, and show interest um, for you. And that's not always an easy thing to just find. So really networking, I think um, CSM, APTA events, getting involved with different academies is totally, it, there, there's so much value in that, that um, you, you, you find people who have common interest with you. Um, and then you start to listen, you know, 
um, talking to different people, making connections. Who do I connect with? Who? Okay, that person was really nice, but we just didn't seem to have a spark. Um, and also, you know, like Lori said, looking outside of your profession. It, you know, your mentor doesn't have to necessarily be a physical therapist, or maybe you have a couple of mentors. Maybe you have a professional physical therapist mentor, and then you also have maybe a spiritual mentor or family mentor um, for that. Um, but, you know, really take your time. Don't just pick the first person that you see. Um, be very picky because this is your, this is your future. This is um, paving the way and, and, and helping you set good values, helping you make good decisions. Um, and that's really, really important. Um, so to making sure that you take the time that you, you put forth the effort into making sure you're finding the right person um, that, and then that other person is willing and, um, and wants to, you want, you, not only just willing, but they, they're eager to invest in you. Um, and it should be this, it should bring both people joy to talk to each other and happiness and not this, oh gosh, here, here's my meeting. I got to check this off. Um, that that's, that's not a positive experience or one that's going to, going to help you down the road, be the best that you can be. And just to, to kind of finish that up, one of the things that Shannon presented at the session was the definition of mentorship is a trusted counselor or guide. And so I love how you talked about, Shannon, how that's in any area of your life. And oftentimes you don't even ask them to formally be your mentor. They just invest in you and you just grow in relationship with them. And it happens very organically. So that's a really uh, cool thing to think about too. So you don't have to pressure yourself to find a mentor or feel like it's a box that you've got to check. Just, you know, talk to people. Don't stay in a box. Don't stay in your little, um, in your little practice area. Get out and, and meet people and talk to folks. And that's how you're going to grow and change and find mentors. I think, yeah, I think that's all really important information because I think, correct me if I'm making this up. I feel like I remember you guys talking about how your mentor is not your therapist as well. I exactly. Really good advice. <laughs> yeah, so a, a mentor should help really listen and more of that person that asks you questions. You know, so how, how does that make you feel? Or what do you think about that? Um, and so it's more of them helping to guide you to the right answer versus giving you the right answer. Um, so, um, you know, they, they're not, they shouldn't tell you exactly what to do. They shouldn't hand you the roadmap, um, but they should help, help, just help garner discussion and help, help really kind of, get let get you to dig deeper into yourself um to to help answer those questions so that you kind of answer questions on your own um and you come to some decisions but but you have that guide that's right there that helps to catch you so so what if you fail so what if you make a wrong decision that person can help catch you and they can go okay let's talk it through Okay, so what would you do differently, differently next time? Um, or they can give you examples about their life. You know, when I went through this, this is kind of what happened to me. Um, 
and give you suggestions, but you don't want somebody who's going to tell you what to do. Yeah, I love that. I mean, your mentor isn't your therapist, but I think we all need a therapist. So that's- We do. <laughs> we do. We all need a therapist. And and I love too, kind of how you talked, Shannon, in the presentation about the difference between a professional coach versus a mentor. So, you know, you can hire a professional coach and they are intended to help you solve specific problems and accomplish specific goals and things like that. Um, but a mentor is not really supposed to do that. You know, they're kind of like- they're a bit of a Sherpa, you know what I mean? Um, but let you do the work of the hike. So well, an example, yeah. So I was just going to say, so an example of a difference between a professional coach and a mentor. So a professional coach, you may want to hire, say, um, I'm three or four years out of school and I really feel like I can be a leader and I want a leadership position. And I, maybe I need a professional coach to help me figure out how am I going to get there? And so that professional coach would sit down with you and they would talk to you about, okay, where are you? What kind of jobs are you interested in? Um, helping you kind of pinpoint and telling you exactly what to do as far as next steps to get that leadership position and to obtain that leadership position. The mentor, on the other hand, would do more of a discussion of, are you ready? What, ha what have you done? Um, what do you feel like you need to do? And kind of asking those questions, prepping you, helping you do the soul searching, um, but not pushing you in one way or the other. That's actually a great segue to my next question. So we've talked a lot about some of the fundamentals of transitioning from an SPT to a DPT, including interviewing, negotiating, all that stuff. But one of the things that I've always been curious about is once you're DPT and once you have some years under your belt, uh, what your guys' thoughts or opinions are about maybe moving away from just being a clinician into more of a management role or an academic role. Because I've heard people say, you know, being a clinician is all there is to being a therapist. Like they're a lifelong clinicians truly. And there's other ones that'll tell me, to not pigeonhole yourself just into the clinician life and that you might get burnout doing that. And so what kind of thoughts do you guys have on that? I think you need to know yourself yeah. and you need to know how you work and, and what you need. And so I'm the kind of person that I got to have like seven, you know, plates spinning at one time in order to like fully function. And I know that that sounds weird, but that's how I roll. Okay. I'm constantly ba balancing a bunch of different plates. And whenever I slow down, I, I start feeling a little antsy and I feel like I need to have a project or something. I need to, I need to do some things. And so you need to know how you function. And to me, I need to be challenged. I need to grow. I need to learn. I need to have something new, some new project to take on. And so th the transition for me into teaching was pretty natural because I mean, I teach and coach my patients every day. Right. So it was really, I think a natural progression, but that may not be for you. Somebody may absolutely love the clinician part and I'm just not a fan of labeling somebody and nothing is absolute, right? I mean, what do we say in PT school? It depends. It's situational. It's the same thing for this, right? You, it's situational, what you want to do. So if you're feeling stifled or stuck, then you need a new challenge. Um, and, and that may be a new, maybe a new job. It may be a new area of practice. It may be 
that you just need to go to CSM and learn a bunch of stuff and get really excited about it. Um, and then come back and implement that with your patients. You know, what is it that you need to be able to keep yourself excited so you're not burned out? And, and what are those things that fill your cup? And it might be that you need to have a side gig that you can do some things and that brings in a little extra money and it gives you something else to focus on. So I, I'm really big about not pigeonholing yourself either and being open to opportunities and saying yes when those are appropriate opportunities and things that will stretch you and help you grow. And I, I love what Lori said, um, because what, what I'm going to say is you, again, you have to know yourself. Um, not everybody's a born leader and that's okay. Um, you know, God made chiefs and God made Indians. Um, and so we need, we need chiefs just as much as we need Indians. Um, and so, leadership's not for everybody. Teaching is not for everybody, um, for that. So I, I kind of, I feel like there is a place for a true clinician and guess what your teaching may be that you are an amazing CI, um, cause that's teaching that's clinical education. You don't have to go into a university setting to teach. You're teaching your patients every single day. You can teach students. Um, but you have to know your personality. You know, have to know what what you what you like and what you don't like. And what Lori said, if you feel kind of stuck, or if you feel kind of that you're just kind of doing the same old, same old, my, you know, maybe volunteer, um, volunteer at a, a local level, maybe volunteer at a state level, get involved with an academy or a section. Um, there's so many ways and so many, um, so many ways of stretching yourself to have a new challenge um, or to take on a new role that doesn't define you as having to step up in a management position or having to take on a teaching position. Um, there's so many things out there um, that you can do. But again, what is your personality? Um, if you're a doer, um, and you don't like the limelight, it's okay. You can still volunteer. And our academy has so many jobs of volunteers that we need doers um, for it. Um, there, there's a place for you and there is a, a way that you can expand and you can grow and you can learn and you can be more than just that um, nine to five clinician. Um, but uh, you really have to know yourself and what is going to fill your cup up. Um, and, and what are your talents? Um, because if leadership is not your talent, then you don't need to be a leader. Um, but what is your talent? You have other talents to bring to the table. Thank you guys so much. I think this has been really helpful for us just because like you mentioned, Lori, a lot of the focus for PT school is on those clinical skills, but really learning how to transition those like mesh those skills with you as a person to become a great clinician can be kind of tricky. So this has all been really great advice. Um, but to wrap up, I wanted to ask you guys, what's kind of been the most rewarding part of, you know, attacking this difficult topic, like transitioning from student to clinician, um, whether or not you have specific stories of students or new grads that you've worked with, seeing how they've grown with building these soft skills or, you know, providing your students with um, this 
valuable information, seeing them blossom as new clinicians. Um, what do you find is most rewarding about this uh, journey you guys are on? Well, girl, I'll tell you one thing. As a pelvic health PT, this is not a difficult topic. We talk about bowel, bladder, and sexual function. So, you know, it, it doesn't, doesn't make it difficult. Um, I kind of think about what are, the, what are the, the positive things about all of this? And, and also you think about what are some of the harder things about this? Um, and I'll start with the harder things. I think the harder things are getting buy-in from some of the other faculty members who, who don't have the ability to have those relational, um, to teach those relational things. And it's, that's hard. That's a hard sell. The people that don't feel like that stuff is important is hard. But what I love about it, like I love now that I have students that some of my students from whenever I taught in Virginia, they call me Mama Mize because I was like, you don't have to call me Dr. Mize, Lori's fine. They're like, we can't not do it. And then we would go out on a trip and and I'd be like, Lori. And they're like, I can't. And, and they're like, okay, how about mom? And I'm like, whatever. Okay, that's that's fine. I mean, and, and so they'll be like, Mama Mize, um, I've, I've got this and this and this going on in my life. And I just wanted to tell you. Or when they call to let me know that they're pregnant. Or whenever they are like, hey, you know what? That business plan you made me do in the admin class, I wasn't such a fan about it now, but guess what I'm doing? I'm open to my own practice. And, and that stuff is just cool. And I love seeing students that I've worked with grow into amazing humans. I mean, they're already amazing humans, but grow in their amazing humanness as a clinician. It's the coolest thing in the world. And just to see that's like, you know, oh, fly little birdie, look at you go. You know, it just delights me. So that's what's awesome about it. Those, those are, I love hearing Lori talk about those stories. That just makes my heart melt um, with that. But um, to kind of kind of start how Lori did it, um, for me, I think the hard the hard part of these conversations is just where we are in healthcare right now. Healthcare is such um, it, it's a hard conversation period between coming out of COVID, um, just all the burnout in healthcare. Um, see, you know, seeing what's going on, the kind of negative rap healthcare is getting in general um, for that, and 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 just just trying to get through it. Um, but the positive side and what makes me happy um, is kind of like Lori said, just seeing seeing people come back and just thanking us for being authentic. Or um, I'm so glad you just told me how it was because. Um, it, it just helped me get through and I am so happy. I, I had an amazing interview or I got an amazing job and I wouldn't have thought about taking this job over that one um, until you said something or, um, you know, you were just being real with me and trying to make me self-reflect and I'm so happy, um, you know, because our whole purpose in this is, um, was to, to help people you know, find their true joy and their passion and physical therapy and make good choices, um, come across as being a good professional, but also just make good choices, um, that, that, that will help, help you find that happiness long-term, um, and not so much short-term. Um, and so that, that's really what brings me joy, um, out of, out of this and out of our talks. 
Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. Again, Lori Mize and Shannon Fox, you guys are awesome. Uh, we appreciate all of the advice you shared with us and we are very excited to share it with our fellow students as well. All right, awesome. well, thank you guys so much. Thank y'all for having us. Yes, thank pleasure. you for having us. Pleasure to meet you guys. You guys are doing great things. I'm really <laughs> proud of what you're doing for your profession. Well done. Thank you very much.